0: Welcome to church. You can be seated. Well, hopefully, you guys aren't too stuffed from Thanksgiving. Everyone, have a good Thanksgiving. You guys enjoyed yourself? Good. Well, we're so glad that you are joining us here for night one of revival. Susie is in the house, y'all. So I know we're super excited about that. Well, hey, if you are a guest with us, welcome to church. We are so glad. That you are here. Hopefully as you came in, uh, you saw a table out there that says first time guests stop here. If you did not get a chance to do that, we really want to encourage you to do that as you leave service tonight. There's a gift that is waiting there for you. Also, uh, hopefully you got a program as you came in as well. There's a connection card in there. Just uh, fill that out. and There's going to be some buckets that come by during this next song uh, and just drop that in there. Uh, And we just want to be able to reach out to you. Just say, hey, welcome to the church and answer any question that you might have uh, also if you want to pull out your cell phones and check into Facebook or whatever social media platform you use, uh, we just love to do that. We love to engage with our world really uh, through uh, social media because that is where they are and what better thing than to connect with them, and say, hey, you know what? Uh, join us at a service. And also if you are joining us online, welcome. Uh, you can click that share button there and you can invite someone to join you a uh, streaming service tonight at salefields.com/ live. Uh, We're going to be taking our tithes and offerings during this next song. Uh, Again, it's just another way that we get the opportunity to worship God and to honor Him by giving Him the first fruits of really everything that He has given us. And so there are many ways that you can give. You can give cash or check as the buckets come by. Go out to one of the giving kiosks and give debit or credit out there. Online, just click that little green button in the top right-hand corner. Or as always, you can give safely and securely through the Salem Fields Community Church Well, it is night one of Revival. This will continue. Each service is different, so come back at 9 a.m. tomorrow, 11 a.m., and then we will have a service again tomorrow night at uh, 6 p.m., and uh, we're going to have some food beforehand, so definitely join us and be a part of that. Also coming up is our Christmas festival. This is something we do every year, and we get to really just celebrate the season with our community. Uh, There is fun for the entire family. We still need volunteers, so go visit the table out there. Uh, Many opportunities for you to get involved. And also, biggest thing you can do, invite your friends and invite your neighbors to come and be a part of it. And then uh, lastly, we start a brand-new series next weekend called Get Lit This Christmas, and it is all about discovering how to be a light in this Christmas season, and what better opportunity you have than to bring again light into this dark world? And really, that's what we were talking about with our Thanksgiving offering. And Pastor Buddy has an update about that.
1: Well, good evening. Well, a couple of you are here and awake, and it's good to see you all tonight. We are glad you're here, and I do want to update you on the Thanksgiving offering. Uh, the good news is we're over halfway there. We have 30, yes. Okay give God a hand. We have $32,487 committed, so that means we need about $27,500 to reach our goal, and many of you uh, have given, and some of you haven't had the opportunity to pledge uh, and give, and so tonight, uh, we want to give you that opportunity as well. There's cards in your program, and there's pins in the seat, and if you've not committed yet, we need to make this goal, okay? It's $60,000, and this is very important that we Uh, are able to meet our goal to uh, spread uh, the light of jesus into dark places in our world and so we i think every year we've made our goal and so this year should be no exception so help us out if you've not given you know everybody at salem fields could give something you know even if it's a dollar or two you can all give some can give little and some of us can give much more than others. So would you uh, tonight, anytime you can bring your card up here and stick it in this little tin uh, thing here and uh, and we will be glad to have that and add it to our total. We've uh, We have uh, we've collected 13,000, we have 19,000 outstanding and we need 275 to complete our offering. So if you've already given, would you pray that others would step up and give as we are able to uh, impact our world? Last week uh, you heard from Manu and the great impact that our Thanksgiving offering has had in India and, uh, and around the world. 166, I think, world countries that get a little bit of our Thanksgiving offering. And also uh, we give away uh, about 15% of our income every year that goes around the world to bring Jesus, bring the hope of Jesus into dark places. So we ask you to do that tonight as we continue to worship. Thank you.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: This is the day, you and me, whatever comes, I won't complain.
4: just three days but it changed our world for when there seemed no way from the grave he jesus loves me this i know jesus loves me this i
5: Thank you so much for the love that you've given us. And there is nothing that we can do that would change your love for us. And so, Father, I thank you so much that so many of us have gotten to experience that love and understand what your saving grace means. And I pray, Lord, if there's someone here that has never sensed your love, that tonight would be the night that your arms would wrap around them. Lord, there's no better place to be and right in the middle of knowing that you love us, you care about us. God, we're so grateful, we're so thankful for all that you've done in our lives. And we just pray, Lord, tonight that tonight would be a time when we would draw closer to you, that our hearts would be open and receptive to your word. God, that we wouldn't let any distraction keep us from hearing from you. Father, I thank you for your word that's sharper than a double-edged sword that pierces our heart, yet grows us closer to you. So, Father, we thank you so much for who you are, for your presence that's here with, with us right now. We just sense you in a beautiful way, Lord. And may we come together tonight and know that we have met with you. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for Susie. And we pray that, God, you would anoint her in a way that we've just never seen before and that your spirit would be within her and she would break your word to us throughout the weekend, Lord, and that our lives will be changed because we've met in this way and with you. We give you all the glory, Lord, for everything that happens here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, I have the privilege of introducing Susie, so many of you. How many people have heard Susie speak before? Good, all right. So uh, you know that it's always great to have her here. Susie has traveled around the world. She's an evangelist in the Church of the Nazarene, and she uh, does small venues, she does large ones, she uh, actually, she's going to be going on a cruise, too. So if you like to do the cruise thing, <laughs> be watching for that. And also, I'd like to encourage you to go out to her table, and there's a list there that you can sign up for her uh, devotional that will come through your email. And uh, I would love for you to do that because you can kind of hear from her throughout the week and throughout the year. And so without further ado, there you are. Here I am. Hi, yeah, Susie. Everybody hi, say guys. hi, Susie. <laughs> hi. Give it to us, Susie. <laughs> Well.
6: It is great to be back at Salem Fields Community Church. This is one of my very favorite places to come. Always has been, always will be. I love you guys, love Buddy and Gay. We go decades back, probably at least 100 years <laughs> and uh, that we've been friends. And so I love being here with you. Well, Gay mentioned cruises. Tonight we're going on a cruise, but it may not be the kind of cruise that you have in mind. Tonight uh, we're going on a particular cruise that has all the elements of an action flick. I mean a great action flick. Well, really, uh horrific action flick I mean it is definitely saturated with all the things that movies are made of it's it's the perfect storm times 100 shipwrecks it has poison and hunger and sickness and violence and horrific twists and turns and well it's Paul's journey from Caesarea to Rome and before we actually get inside the journey itself I want to give you the prequel so let's just take a step Back, do we have? Yeah, you you saw the arrow going back and forth. That's the cruise that we're taking tonight, all the way from Caesarea to Rome. Okay, so here's the prequel when Paul was in Jerusalem, he was arrested for something that he didn't do. You see, the rumor was he let Gentiles into the temple, which was breaking a huge religious law, but he didn't do that. He didn't let Gentiles into the temple. He met with Gentiles outside the temple, but only Jewish people were allowed into the temple. But now the rumor is out, and uh, the word is spread, and people are hating Paul, and so now he's arrested. Well, he appears before the high council. Now this is outlined in Acts chapter 23. And there's a plot out to kill him. And so, well, he's taken to Caesarea, so he'll be safe. Don't kill him before we hear what he has to say. So they move him to Caesarea and he will appear before governor Felix now Paul had only been in Caesarea for five days when one of the most famous lawyers of his time a real articulate guy I mean a dynamic guy a fancy pants lawyer a lawyer from the big city an eloquent speaker named Tertullus arrived from Jerusalem to argue against Paul So Paul stands before Governor Felix and the high priest Ananias and Tertullus. Now, when Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. Now, remember, they brought in this fancy-pants, big-city, eloquent lawyer, Tertullus, to argue against Paul. Tertullus doesn't even know Paul, but that's how much he's—that's how much Paul is hated. Well, let's spend the money and get the big guy in here so that he can argue against Paul. So here he is, and this is what he says uh, as he begins his argument. Tertullus says this. Let's look at it. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. He's talking to Governor Felix. Tertullus says this to Governor Felix. Peace, no, no, that was a lie. There wasn't peace. There were riots that were breaking out constantly. Reforms, no. Governor Felix had robbed his people blind, and he had appointed corrupt leaders. So this is just pure flattery. Tertullus is just giving pure flattery to Governor Felix. He wants to have him soak in the good stuff, wants to get on his good side. It has nothing to do with the case against Paul at all. Everybody in the country knew that Governor Felix was a rat. But Tertullus comes on with this flowery language and all this flattery, knowing. His case will be strengthened as Felix just soaks it all in like a sponge. Okay, let's go to the next scripture. We have found this man, Paul. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect. Oh, we're mentioned in there. That's kind of (laughs) cool. He's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple so he seized him. -uh. (laughs) Nuh-uh. It's all lies, isn't it? Would Paul ever try to desecrate a a temple? No. Is he stirring up riots everywhere he goes? No. Has he been all over the world? No, not yet. (laughs) I mean, it's all pure lies. In other words, basically what he's saying is, you know what, this guy Paul's a troublemaker. Well, maybe he is. (laughs) Because whenever we preach the gospel, sometimes it causes trouble, doesn't it? Sometimes people are offended when they hear the truth of the gospel. But you know what? Being a troublemaker, um, just by language, really isn't against the law. So yeah, maybe he's caused a few stirs. But he shouldn't be arrested. Shouldn't be thrown in prison for that. So Tertullus, again... He's lying, and he's lying through his teeth. So here's Paul, and he's standing before Governor Felix, a man who had no position being in power. He really didn't. Felix was the only slave in Roman history to become a governor, a slave who became a governor. And Felix was this cruel character who received his appointment as governor only because his brother Pallas was a friend of Caesar Nero. All about who you know and where you are. He's playing the political game, isn't he? Has no qualifications to be a lawyer. Came from slavery. But now he's in power because of who he knew and where he was. And as a governor, he just kept that slave mentality throughout his leadership. In other words, he had this this attitude of, I want to get back at the world for all the injustice that they poured on me. Okay, so now... We're going to see Paul act as his own defense attorney and make his case before Felix. As we study the book of Acts, we note that whenever Paul makes his case, he always presents the gospel. That's always his case. (laughs) And sure, finally he might allude to whatever they charged him against, but he makes his case by... Presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's look at what, what comes next. When the governor, Governor Felix, motioned for Paul to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years, Governor Felix, you've been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. Okay, I think that's kind of funny. Because here's Tortullus going, oh, Governor Felix. Because of you, reforms have been done. Because of you, peace. Because of you, no, 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 no. And here's Paul saying the only positive thing that he can say that's honest. Well, you've been around a long time, haven't you? (laughs) I mean, uh, if you can't say something nice, well, try really hard and you can find something. So the only halfway decent thing he can say about Felix is, um, yeah, you've been doing this job a long time, haven't you? (laughs) Well, after listening for a while, Governor Felix adjourns the meeting (coughs) and said he would listen to Paul later at another time. Could it be he had the gift of procrastination? Maybe. Could be. I tend to have that gift every now and then. I tend to procrastinate. I'll tell you about that later. But it, it could be that he had the gift of procrastination. So, so he, he just adjourns. And then a few days later, Governor Felix comes back with his wife, Drusilla. Now, Drusilla is an interesting character. Drusilla doesn't have the greatest heritage. Drusilla was the daughter of Herod Agrippa. This is the man who was eaten by worms in the amphitheater at Caesarea. Drusilla was the great-granddaughter of Herod the Great. He's the guy who ordered the slaughter of all the infant boys when Jesus was born. Drusilla was the great-niece of Herod Antipas who beheaded John the Baptist. So she didn't have a lot of good heritage behind her, did she? She's an interesting character. Now here's what tradition says about Drusilla. The tradition says she married a Syrian prince when a magician who was secretly employed by Governor Felix told her she should leave her Syrian prince and go marry Governor Felix and become his third wife. And because she was enamored with the occult, At age 19, she left her second husband, the Syrian prince, and went to marry Governor Felix. So that's kind of Drusilla's history. Again, Drew is an interesting character. Well, Paul continues his case, presenting the gospel to Governor Felix and Drew, and he talks about God's judgment. And Felix became frightened, and he said, That's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I'll send for you. Again, Satan has a tactic to keep us procrastinating spiritually. Satan's greatest tactic is just wait till later. No need to make any kind of spiritual decisions tonight. Hey, it's just Saturday night. We're going to have a few more services tomorrow, three more services. Don't make any spiritual decisions tonight. Take it home. Think about it. Process it. You see, Satan just doesn't want you to make any kind of spiritual movement tonight. And he's working this tactic in Governor Felix. Well, just procrastinate. Just just think about it for a little bit. And so Governor Felix says, okay, that's enough. Leave. Uh, maybe I'll send for you later if I, if I want to hear you. Well, he was secretly hoping that Paul would bribe him to hear his case again. But Paul's not going to do that. He's a man of, in- character, of integrity. Well, guess what? Two years passed. Two years passed. And during those two years, Paul is kept in prison. Now, remember, he's been arrested for something he never even did. Well, we push the fast-forward button, and Governor Felix is replaced with Governor Festus. No, I'm, I'm not talking about that Festus. <laughs> I'm talking about this guy. This is the Governor Festus that he was replaced by. Okay, now, let me just recap. We're still in Caesarea, okay? So now, Paul appears before Governor Festus. And, of course, he denies the charges against him. No, I didn't let any Jews into the temple. But the Jews hate Paul, and they want him transferred from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Why? So they can kill him along the way. Well, Governor Festus is new, and he wants to please the Jews. Yeah, okay, well, I'll try to get him there. And so he asks Paul, would you be willing to go to Jerusalem for your trial? And Paul declines. And he reminds everyone, are you kidding me? I'm a Roman citizen. And as a Roman citizen, I have a right to a Roman trial. And he eloquently demands, I appeal to Caesar. And so Governor Festus replies, very well. You have appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar you will go. But before Paul leaves Caesarea... King Agrippa, who's that? It's a new character in the story. King Agrippa, from someplace else, arrives with his sister, Bernice, to visit Governor Festus. Okay, are we all on the same page? Governor Felix has been dismissed. Governor Festus comes up and takes his spot. Paul is going to, uh, they want to move Paul because there's a plot to kill him, or they want to kill him along the way. And Paul says, no way, no way. Uh-uh. I deserve a Roman trial, and now, out of the blue, uh, uh Uh, 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 Governor uh, uh, King Agrippa comes into the scene, and he brings his sister, Bernice, with him. Okay, well, who's Bernice? Well, she's described in literature as being a ravishing beauty. Seriously? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, by this picture, (laughs) I would say the saying is true, beauty certainly is in the eyes of the beholder. (laughs) Because by that picture, she doesn't look like a magazine cover to me. (laughs) Well, Bernice, King Agrippa's sister guess what? Now the plot thickens. She's actually Drusilla's sister. So that makes her the half sister of King Agrippa. And because of this, King Agrippa and Bernice were never married, but they're living together as a married couple. The king and his sister, Bernice. Doesn't this sound like a Hollywood movie? (laughs) I mean, the plot is thickening, and we're getting some twists and turns here. We're kind of scratching our head, going, "Well, that—that's not right." Well, yeah, it does sound like Hollywood. Well, yeah, I do. Yeah, I've seen that happen on screen before. Well, it's again, it's the exact thing that movies are made of. Okay, so Governor Felix—I mean, I'm sorry, King Agrippa and Governor Festus—they start chatting about Paul over coffee, and what an unusual case this is. And Festus explains Paul has appealed to Caesar. And King Agrippa is just fascinated with this whole thing. Now, I want you to remember that King Agrippa was a member of the family of Herod. And it is the worst family in the Bible. Now, some of you may be thinking, wait a minute. I remember a couple in the Old Testament. King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. They were pretty evil, right? <laughs> yeah, they were. Uh, King Jeze—I mean Queen Jezebel was the one who introduced Baal worship into the whole northern kingdom of Israel. And Ahab was no Sunday school kid. I mean yeah, they were pretty evil, but they were like Sunday school kids if you compared them uh, if you compared them to the Herod family. I couldn't find a picture of them, so here's a picture I had some kid in Sunday school draw of uh, Paul and Agrippa, okay? That's the closest I could come. So Agrippa is fascinated by the whole thing, and he wants to hear from Paul, all right? So an assembly is arranged the next day for Paul to appear before Governor Festus, King Agrippa, and his Sister, wife, and Bernice, uh, Bernice, in the city auditorium. Now, this city auditorium is huge, and it is packed with people. And it's a it's a a, a high dollar event. I mean, it, people are dressed to the nines, and they're coming in with their tall hats and their fancy clothes, and they're just expectant. And there's an electricity in the air, lots of pomp, a lot of circumstance, and they have soldiers standing at attention. And then in shuffles this short balding guy and he has ooze coming out of both his eyes and he's shackled between two guards and that's paul paul shuffles in shackled between two guards and he presents his case or he gives the gospel to a king agrippa and paul's plea to king agrippa to turn to christ is magnificent it's logical and it's intelligent. And, and again, rather than being a defense, it's a declaration of the gospel. Let's look at scripture. Acts 26.1. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. If we look at that same verse from the King James Version, it says, He stretched forth his hand. Okay, what's that? What are we talking about here? Well, It was sort of a salute. It was a sign of respect. Before he would begin his message or his case or his speech, uh, he would show respect to the position of authority before him, even though the person in the position of authority had no business being in that position of authority. He was unworthy. Let's look at what Paul says. King Agrippa I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Finally, Paul gets to talk to someone who's kind of familiar with, with the background and with the uh, scriptural history. And, and so he's finally glad. Finally, I get to talk to somebody who knows a little bit of our, of our spiritual heritage here. And Paul is filled with passion as he speaks. There are hundreds present in this packed-out arena. Paul is focused on an audience of one, Agrippa. And as Paul went through the gospel and the message of the cross, the bottom line was repentance. That's not a popular message to hear. It wasn't a popular message then, and it's not really a popular message now. Because it says that people who think they have it all together don't. And people who assume they're okay aren't. And people who think that they'll make it to heaven on their own won't. And then we come to what I think is one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Paul, you've almost persuaded me to give my life to Christ. I mean, I'm pretty close here. But it's just almost. I'm not going to do it. Again, Satan's greatest tactic is just wait on it. I don't think Satan really cares if you read the Bible or if you're here at church on Saturday night and three times tomorrow. I don't think he really cares if you have a ministry in the church. He simply wants you to put off any further commitments to Jesus Christ. Just put off any other parts of surrendering your life to Christ. He hisses in your ear. Sleep on it. Sleep on it. Just think it through. Process it. You know, in the Church of the Nazarene, long time ago, about hundred years ago, when I was a little girl going up the Church of the Nazarene, we had these books in our pews or in the backs of our chairs. They were called hymnals. Has anybody ever heard of those? And they had—they were filled with songs. What a novel idea. And there was a song I'll never forget. I didn't know all the words to it because we didn't sing it often. But one, maybe once a year, we'd sing this one song. And it was kind of an eerie song. It was called Almost Persuaded. Ooh, And it was written in kind of a melancholy It must have been written in a minor key. And it was just kind of scary. It was along this thought. I've, I've almost been persuaded to give my life to Christ. But no, I didn't make that decision. And it even kind of sounded scary as you sang it. It kind of went like this. Almost persuaded. I mean, just kind of scary to even sing it. Well, but that is a scary thought. I've almost been persuaded to come to Christ, but no, I'm not making that decision. Well, Agrippa ends the assembly, and he and Governor Festus leave saying, this guy Paul really hasn't done anything that deserves death. He's innocent, and he could be set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. And Paul's demand To appeal to Caesar. Sets the rest of his life in motion. In fact. The remainder of the book of Acts. Is all about what happens along the way. From Caesarea. To where Paul will appear before Caesar. In Rome. And again. This is the stuff. That movies are made of. And so now. In our story. We come to Acts 27. And it's the beginning. Of Paul's journey. From Caesarea to Rome. And it's a journey of 1,424 miles. That's the cruise you and I are about to embark on. Tonight, yeah, we're going at lightning speed right now. We're stepping on the boat and we're gonna take a journey of 1,424 miles. We're gonna be exhausted by the end of this service. So here we go at lightning speed. They leave in the autumn of 59 AD. And here's the journey, Caesarea to Sidon. And then at Sidon, Paul's guards let him off the ship to visit with the believers there in Sidon. That's a good thing. They're positive. They encourage Paul. They pray over him. Then he gets back on the boat, and he heads to Cyprus and then on to Malta. And then they board a grain ship that's headed for Italy. They start out across the Mediterranean Sea and they sail past Cape Salmone and along the south coast of Crete where it's more sheltered. Well, they experience a lot of difficulty and it's getting close to winter and no one would sail these seas in the winter because of the dangerous weather and the shipwreck possibilities. So Paul wants to anchor and spend the winter at Fair Havens but the captain of the ship wants to just keep sailing further. Nah, we can do it. Oh, I can do it. I'm an experienced captain. I know nobody else does, but hey, I can handle it. Uh, I can handle it. So they keep sailing further along the coast to Phoenix. And no, this isn't in Arizona. <laughs> they keep sailing. And the centurion listens to the captain instead of Paul. So they continue their journey into dangerous territory And and Paul has warned them about it. He's warned them. Our lives will be in danger. We shouldn't do this. We should stay here at Fair Havens. Let's pick up the journey again in spring when the weather is better. No, no, we can do it. Well, in Acts chapter 27, verses 13 to 15, we see that a typhoon-type wind, a nor'easter, forces them from the coast and drives them all the way out to sea where they're just fighting for their lives and then south of Cada Island, they lower the sail completely and just let the ship run with the storm. Then they drag that heavy anchor behind them to try to slow the ship down and to keep it from running into the, the sandbanks. Now we come to Acts 27, 18, and this puts us into the second day of the storm. The ship has been battered violently, and it's now swamped with water. So the crew begins to lighten the ship by throwing heavy containers of grain overboard. Great, there goes most of our food supply. <laughs> but they had to they had to lighten the load. Here's what happens on the 4th day of the storm. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. Okay, we've thrown most of the food overboard. Now we're taking precious gear of the ship that we really need for safety, and we're tossing it overboard. They're trying to do everything they can to lighten the load and to keep the ship from sinking. Now, even though this wasn't the size of any of our ships today, it was still filled with stuff that would dangerously weight it down in the midst of a storm. Okay, so they're desperate. They're just trying to lighten the load of the ship by tossing cargo and stuff overboard. Let's keep reading scripture. The storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars, until at last all hope was gone. That's Acts twenty-seven nineteen and 20. You see... All These ominous clouds have completely hidden any trace of light. Can't see the stars, can't see the sun, can't see the moon. It's dark during the day, it's dark during the night. And they navigated by the sun and the stars. So now they can't navigate because they, can't, they don't have any light to look from. They're in complete darkness. They can't navigate because they can't see the stars. Verse 21 says uh, that all hope was gone. And so these guys think this is it. We'll never see another sunrise. We'll never see another sunset. We aren't going back to our families. We'll never have another Thanksgiving. Forget Christmas. This is it. Our lives are over. Now verse 21 says, no one had eaten for a long time. Well, yeah, partly because they tossed most of the food overboard. And the other part is because, can you imagine doing this uh, for day after day after day? They, They are nauseous. They're throwing up. I mean, their stomachs are heaving and hurling. They are seasick to the max. Again, it's the perfect storm times 100. They're throwing up constantly. All hope was gone. They're convinced it's over. And then right in the middle of all this despair, look what happens. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, men... You should have listened to me in the first place and not left creaked. You would have avoided all this damage and loss. That's not real comforting, is it? <laughs> should have listened to me. I told you so. There's a universal word all over the world, and it's the same in every language, that every child learns by age five. Doesn't matter what country. Same word in every language. And that word is... Yeah, 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 yeah. That's basically what Paul is saying here. Yeah, 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 I told you so. You should have listened to me. Okay, those aren't the most comforting words that you want to hear when you think that you're dying. You don't want to hear that. But let's check out what Paul says next. Acts twenty-seven, twenty-two. But take courage. Oh, there's some encouragement there. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. Well, how does Paul know this? Well, let's keep reading. For last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood beside me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul. Don't be afraid, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. And what's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, guys. I believe God. And it will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. God is with you. You may go through some storms. Jesus said, Expect it. The world hated me before it hated you. We're gonna go through some storms. Some of us are even gonna shipwreck. But guess what? God is with us, he hasn't left us. Let's fast forward. We're at midnight on the 14th day of the storm. Two solid weeks of back and forth and seasickness. And as they're they're being thrown uh, uh, into the Sea of Adria, the sailors drop a weighted line and they discover the water was 120 feet deep. But a little later, they find it's only 90 feet deep. So knowing that pretty soon they're going to be thrown against the rocks along the shore, they throw out four anchors to stall the ship, and they just start praying for daylight. Now in Acts 27.30, we see the sailors in the midst of a major panic attack, and they try to abandon the ship. So Paul makes an announcement. Let's look at it. You will all die unless unless the sailors stay on board. So they stay put. At daybreak, the next scripture, at daybreak, Paul urged everyone to eat. You've been so worried, he says. You haven't touched food for two weeks. So he took some bread. They had a little bit of food left. they would thrown most of it overboard. He took some bread and he gave thanks to God before everyone so they could see him and they could hear him. And then he passed it around and they all ate. All 276 men ate. And afterward, they lightened the ship even more by throwing the remainder of the wheat overboard. That's it. No more food. Now, a few hours later, they see the beach in the distance, and they try to run the ship ashore, but they struck a reef, and the bow and the stern just broke completely apart. So those who could swim got out and swam to the shore. (coughs) The others held on to debris or planks from the broken ship, but everyone escaped safely to the shore. Well, where are they? Well, they're right here at Malta. This is the island... That they shipwrecked at. They got to shore safely. And this is good news. Because the people on the island of Malta are friendly people. Well the people of Malta welcome Paul and the crew and the sailors. And they begin to build a fire. They're going to have food for them. They're welcoming them to uh, to their island. So Paul decides to help out. And he goes to gather some sticks too. And out of the pile of sticks he's bitten by a snake. So now the islanders that are very superstitious say, oh, he's a murderer. Maybe he escaped the death on the sea, but he won't escape death here. This proves that he's a murderer. He's going to die from this poisonous snake bite. But Paul just simply shook the snake off without being harmed. And so now the people switch tunes and they think he's a god. Whoa, he's a god. He didn't die from the poisonous snake bite. Let's fast forward. Three months later, another ship arrives in Malta. And Paul gets on board. And after several more stops, he finally arrives in Rome. We're there. (laughs) We have just traveled together 1,424 miles in the last few minutes. Are you tired? Yeah, I'm kind of worn out by that trip. 1,424 miles. He's finally in Rome. And he will live in Rome for two years before he gets to meet with Caesar. But... The book of Acts ends before this meeting happens. Hmm. So we don't get to eavesdrop on the conversation. We don't get to see or feel or smell the environment that he and Caesar are a part of. Well, then how do you, how do you know? Well, we know he appealed before Caesar because, remember, back on the ship, the angel of God visited, visited him and said, you will definitely make your appeal before Caesar. You will stand trial before Caesar. God is a God who always keeps his word. And if we go back in history, and if we would research historically, there is record of Paul meeting with Caesar. Wow. But the good news here is that the good news of the gospel has finally now made it to the capital of the known world. And now, finally, it can be spread to the ends of the earth. Oh, that is good news. The good news, the good news has made it to the capital of the world and now can be spread throughout the ends of the earth. Good, now we're going to hear the good news. We, the Gentiles, and we can have a relationship with Jesus Christ today. Okay, before we wrap this up, I want to do a quick recap. Paul does a series of warnings and encouragements, warnings and encouragements. Maybe you caught on to that through this story. Warning, Acts 27.10. Paul said, if we continue on, we'll have great loss. Our lives are at stake. We should stay here at Fair Havens. Let's wait and continue the journey in the spring. But the centurion listened to the captain of the ship instead of Paul. They ignored the warning. Then Paul gives some encouragement. Well, it's mixed with a little bit of, you should have listened to me, yeah, 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 He said, I told you so. You should have listened to me. We should have never left Crete. We've lost our cargo. We're lost at sea. We can't navigate. We can't see the star. But be encouraged because you won't die. I will stand before Caesar, and God will protect all who travel with me. But we will wreck. You're going to have some wrecks. You're going to shipwreck. But God will be with us. Then he comes in with another warning. Acts 27, 31, Paul announces, Hey, sailors, you have to stay on the ship to be saved. You have to go through the storm. God will save you, but you're going to experience the wreck. Then he comes to another encouragement. Acts 27, 33, take some food. Please eat something. You've gone two weeks without food. You need your strength. Not one single hair on your head will perish. God has told me so. Okay, well, so what does that mean for us? Well, it's the same with us and God. Warning, encouragement. Warning, encouragement. He warns us. He encourages us. In fact, that's what the Ten Commandments are all about. Warnings and promises of encouragement. If we keep our surrender and our commitment and our focus on God, even though we'll con, uh, we'll encounter horrific storms in our lives, He is faithful. Warning, encouragement. Warning, encouragement. The first uh, encouragement... In the Ten Commandments is the commandment to honor thy father and mother. And then it gives us encouragement at the end of that commandment. And you will have a long life full of blessing. Warning, encouragement. Warning, encouragement. That's how God interacts with his children. Yes, he will warn us against the evil and the sin in the world and in our lives. Aren't we glad he's faithful to do that? And he will also encourage us. But if you seek forgiveness from me... me, I will grant it. I will forgive you. Hey, you can't live with sin in your lives. Hey, there's a high price to pay for that. The wages of sin is death. But good news, I sent my son to pay that price for you. You see, somebody has to pay for your sins. It's either you or it's Jesus. And I love you so much that I sent Jesus to pay for your sins. Warning, encouragement. Warning, encouragement. And that's how he wants us to, to act and interact with our world too. Yes, let's warn some people. Let's warn them in love. Hey, that sin, oh my goodness, God has something better for you. Oh no, don't go down that road. Don't go down that road. It's a dangerous road. It will take you away from the Lord. It's going to lead you down a path that's scary and that's awful. You don't want to go down there. But encouragement, oh, God has something so much better for you. Warning and encouragement. Warning and encouragement. Again, if we'll keep our surrender, our commitment, and our focus on God Even though we will encounter horrific storms and shipwrecks in our lives, he is faithful. But we need to lighten the load. We need to toss some stuff overboard. So let me ask you, what could be causing you to sink? It may be that some of you are going under, and you haven't even realized that getting rid of that something in your life can steer you toward intimacy with Christ. You see, we, we kind of go through life just collecting stuff, collecting this bitterness, because she should have never said, and collecting this spirit of unforgiveness, yeah, but he had no right to, and he hurt me, and he, and collecting this grudge, and collecting this habit, and collecting this thing. We just start collecting, and our, the ship of our lives becomes full and weighted down. And God is saying, you know what? Maybe you need to toss some stuff overboard. You know what? You really don't need that in your heart anymore. Toss it overboard. Get rid of it. Hey, let me help you lighten the load. Toss that overboard. Toss that. So let me ask you, do you feel as though you're sinking a bit spiritually? Yeah, I kind of feel like I'm sinking a little bit spiritually, Susie. But you'd love to feel as though you're in a powerboat with the wind just sailing through your hair as you're freely lightening the load. Anger, you're going overboard. Woo, bitterness, I don't need you anymore. Tossing you overboard. Criticism, you just get out of my boat. And gossip, get out of my boat. We've never done it that way before. I'm getting rid of you. Pornography, no, you're not going to be in the heart of my boat anymore. And addictive behavior, nope, you're out of here just tossing stuff overboard with the wind sailing through the air. yeah yay Jesus thank you for freedom thank you for helping me toss that stuff overboard that has been causing me to sink you see Jesus longs for you to experience this kind of freedom spiritually he longs for you to have victory and so be encouraged right here right now because Jesus is in the saving business and he longs to save his children from sinking you see, he doesn't want to just keep you afloat. But he wants to put strength in your wings and enable you to soar. But you may need to toss something overboard first. So let's ask God what that would be. Learn to travel light spiritually. Well, how, how do I do that? How do I travel light spiritually? Well, you lighten the load. So let him help you lighten the load and experience the freedom that he wants you to have then you can truly say yeah i travel light and then move on in obedience so this evening what do you need to toss overboard what could it be that's causing you to sink will you do it will you just bow your heads right now and would you just ask God this question silently, Father, what is, what's causing me to sink spiritually? Would you bring that to my mind right now? Help me think of it. What's causing me to sink right now? If you ask him that and mean it, he's going to bring it to your mind. Now will you go ahead and thank him? Thank you, Jesus, for making me aware of that. You're right, that is causing me to sink spiritually. And tell him how you want to travel. Jesus, I don't want to travel burdened down with that junk. I want to travel lightly. I want to experience your freedom and your victory. Tell him that. And tonight, would you say, Jesus, would you help me toss that overboard? Jesus, tonight, would you help me make a commitment to travel light spiritually? We're going to sing a song with Jody. And as we sing that song, we're going to ask you to stand. And if that's the commitment that you want to make tonight, yeah, I want to travel light. Some things I I need to toss overboard. I want you to just come forward so we can do that together. Will you do that? Let's stand. Let's sing with Jody. And let's, let's toss some stuff overboard. Will you come forward symbolizing, yeah, Jesus, I'm traveling light. I want to toss some stuff overboard. Will you come now? I'm tossing it overboard, Jesus. I don't want to sink. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. To know you all my life. Father, we thank you for the promise that you will be with us, that you won't abandon us, that you're not walking away. And even though we experience horrific storms, and even though we shipwreck and we feel like, uh, is it over? Thank you, Jesus, that it's not over because you're with us. But Father, in the journey that we're on, teach us, Lord, to travel light spiritually. Father, keep bringing to our mind the things and the hearts of our ship that we need to just keep tossing overboard, keep lightening the load spiritually, because Jesus, we want to live in victory. We want to live in spiritual freedom, and we know that that's possible by tossing it overboard. The things that keep us from living in victory. So Jesus, teach us to travel light. In your name we pray. Amen, Jesus. Amen. What a cruise we've been on. I hope you'll be back at 9.30, at 9 o'clock, and at... (laughs) And at... uh, 11. 11 I hope you'll be back at 9 and 11. And that's Susie, I'll do
1: the announcement You go sit We're going to okay? have
6: chili. I heard we're having
1: chili. Is <laughs> that's that right? right. That's why I came up here to say Whoa. it. At 5.15, yes. we'll start serving chili tomorrow <laughs> evening. But our services are at 9 and 11. And if you still have things to throw overboard, be sure tonight when you hit your knees to throw overboard what may be hindering you uh, to enjoy the cruise that God has us on. God bless you guys and have a great evening and go who's
3: knows what I mean.